0: Take your Bibles, if you would, please, and turn to Psalm 57, Psalm 57. I'm going to make use of the superscription, and also I'm going to make use of what we think the instructions are in the words sila, which is a time of pausing or taking a break and thinking. And so if you would stand, please, let's read together or read as, listen as I read to you this passage of Scripture. For the director of music, to the tune of Do Not Destroy, of David, of miktam, when he had fled from Saul into the cave. Have mercy on me, O God, have mercy on me, for in you my soul takes refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until disaster has passed. I cry out to God Most High, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends his love and his faithfulness. I'm in the midst of lions. I lie amongst ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They spread a net for my feet. I'm bowed down in distress. They dig a pit in my path. But they've fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Awake, my soul. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O God, amongst the nations. I will sing of you amongst the peoples. For great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. This is the word of God. Thank you. Be seated, please. And let's turn for one more word of prayer. We come to you this morning to hear your word, Father. To hear what Psalm 57 has to say to us. Lord, you know the anxiety of hearts. You know that we need to have our our hearts and our minds open to hearing you in these areas that are most difficult for us. The area of anxiety. Come and work, we pray. Come by your Spirit. We believe that the Holy Spirit can Work in the hearts of people as they hear your word. Thank you for your love and for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, a few weeks ago, I was privileged to go to my grandson Rowan's uh, preschool graduation. And they lined up and they walked towards the staircase that led all the children up to be given their graduation certificates and then to stand in a choir singing about A says ah, 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 and all of that kind of stuff. Linda, you would kind of understand this stuff, right? (laughs) My grandson really enjoyed it, and they gave him a paper mortar board that didn't fit on his head, so his excitement was trying to catch the thing before it fell off. I think he has a head somewhat similar to mine, poor boy. And so um, trying to keep this thing on his head was hard. His friend next to him had a more difficult situation. From early on in the lineup, his friend started crying and crying and crying. And there was nothing that his dad could do to help him. His dad took him out of the line for a while, and he still cried. Put him back in the line, and he cried. His dad went up with him to get his diploma. He was crying. And the whole time he stood in the group to sing, A, me, a says, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, he cried during that, too. This little boy was so caught up in the anxiety of being in this group and in front of people, he didn't know what else to do but to bawl his eyes out. You know, when I was young, I felt anxiety too. The first time I ever did any public speaking was in public school, and I was standing in front of a mic. Now, as you can imagine, I've always been a chunky boy, but I tried to hide behind that microphone stand so nobody could see me. As you can imagine, it didn't work out very well. Now, this doesn't just happen to children and youngsters. On the drive here, I became anxious about what I'm doing right now. And I said to myself, Glenn, you're going to preach about anxiety today. Remember the answers that you're going to have for the people? And then I did, and the Lord blessed me, and I was so thankful for that. Other things happen that are more difficult for adults. I remember vividly the night we received the news that Sharon had breast cancer. Lying in bed together, I was so anxious about the thought of losing my dear one, my Sharon, to the dreaded seaward, as had happened to her mom, and as I think about it, to my mom as well, that I bawled and I cried out in fear of the loss of my wife. Now praise the Lord, in this case the Lord did not take her, and he has to this point healed her of that sickness, and I praise God for that. Anxiety. That little boy had it. I had it standing at the microphone. I had it in buckets thinking about my wife. Anxiety is defined by the Cambridge Dictionary as an uncomfortable feeling of nervousness or worry about something that is happening or might happen in the future. It's an uncomfortable feeling of nervousness or worry about something that is happening or might happen in the future. Now a few weeks ago David Innes from Vancouver Urban Ministry spoke on Psalm 27 and he spoke on anxiety too and he brought uh, some uh, list of things about that cause anxiety. He talked about poor health, difficult relationships, unemployment, poverty, disadvantage, loneliness, work stress, and exposure to violence. Now I, have, I believe that all of us who are here have faced anxiety of some sort in their lives. And I think that for some, like this young boy, anxiety so fills us that it causes us even to have unreasoning episodes where the anxiety so fills us with fear that it becomes unreasoning and almost nothing can settle it. This is where the anxiety attacks that so many people face set in. I forget what it was that I saw on TV, but a cry from TV struck me. It said a mother was running around because her children were doing something and the pot was boiling and she cried out, It's a disaster. And I think many people feel when the anxieties they face build up, that's how they feel. It's a disaster. Over the past several weeks, we have been dealing here in church with several psalms that have been keys to dealing with important issues. Uh, Recently, we have uh, seen the keys to thanksgiving from Psalm 118, of fear in Psalm 64, of confession in Psalm 32, and envy in Psalm 73. The writers of the psalms express real emotions and real issues in a true way to God using the Hebrew poetic style. In so doing, they also reveal true answers to life problems, displaying, as it were, the key to each issue. Now, Psalms 57 is a psalm that I have little noticed in the past. It doesn't just jump out at you like some psalms do 139 or 1 or 8 or especially Psalm 23, right? Everybody knows Psalm 23, I mentioned before that Psalm 73 is one of my favorites. But it seems that this psalm just hid itself from my notice. With the surrounding psalms to Psalm 57, anxiety in the days of David's running from Saul are clearly seen. As we approach this psalm, we notice that there is a statement above the start of the verses in our English Bibles, Hebrews count the statement, the superscription as part of the psalm. And it's given a verse number. So it's part of the psalm and it's important. It says, For the director of music to the tune of Do Not Destroy of David, a miktam, when he has fled Saul into the cave. The superscription here is giving direction as to how to sing the psalm. But note the last words. When he fled, from Saul, into a cave. So whatever David feared is compounded by the fact that he is running for his life from Saul and is now hiding in a cave. While David is on the run, you get the impression that he is often just a hill away or just a turn of the path from getting captured by Saul. In my mind, I have this foothills hill, not too tall, but tall, on the one side are the forces of Saul coming to seek David and look for him. On the very far side of that one hill is David. Do I go this way or do I go that? In order to avoid those guys who are coming around the corner. Which way do I go? In 1 Samuel 22, at Adullam, he goes and he hides Later on, he goes and hides in the caves of En Gedi. And in one episode, he is hiding in the back of the cave. And amazingly, Saul has come to the front of the cave in order to relieve himself. That's how close they get. That's how scary this is. Saul wants to kill David, and David is running. David understood what was going to happen when he talked to Jonathan in 1 Samuel chapter twenty. He said to Jonathan, there's but a step between me and death. Now, Psalms are sometimes hard to pin down as to what they're talking about or what their context is. But the setting here is not hard to place. David is in the cave of Adullam, hiding from the crazy king's misguided wrath. That's where he is. This is called an individual lament, where a person's issues are laid before God No, aren't you glad that you have a God who listens to and hears your cries, your laments? Aren't you glad that David could codify his cries at different points in the course of his life and be able to share them with us and say, God heard this too. We have a God who hears our cries and listens to our laments. And he has the power to deal with them. I am so thankful for such a God as this. The psalm is divided into two parts, verses 1 to 4 and verses 6 to 10, and it has refrains or choruses in verse 5 and 11. And that, that's important to our understanding of the whole thing. Let's take a look at the two main parts. Here I have to acknowledge that I'm using some of the material that I was given from uh, James Montgomery Boyce was very helpful in understanding the passage, and so I use some of that. Uh, first of all, let's look at verses 1 to 4. The lament of a soul in seemingly deep trouble. The lament of a soul in seemingly deep trouble. Have mercy on me, my God. Have mercy on me, for in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster is past. I cry out to God most high. To God who vindicates me, he sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends forth his love and his faithfulness. I'm in the midst of lions. I am forced to dwell amongst ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are like spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Wow, I just made it in time. I'm sure that the king's men are just around the corner. I have those who hotly pursue me. I'm in the midst of lions. I dwell amongst ravenous beasts, beasts with teeth like spears and arrows, tongues like sharp swords. David, was it really that bad? If you're in the midst of the challenges and difficulties of life, it's sometimes hard to see things straight your mind gets foggy. The issues mount up and start to, if not imagined, at least amplify your anxieties until you feel like you're becoming unpegged. Anxiety can make everything around you seem worse and seem more dangerous than it already is. Rational thought is almost impossible. And as I looked at the passage, I was thinking... The threat seems even worse to those in the midst of it. If you look at verses 1, 3, and 4. The threat seems even worse to those who are in the midst of it. The best example I can think of is of parents in a restaurant with their children. You have two kids, and they're being kids. And they're eating with their mouth open. They're not saying please and thank you enough. They're bickering a bit, dropping a bit of food on the floor and being loud. And in the parents' zeal to be good parents, they feel like they're falling down on their responsibilities, and in their minds, that comment from TV comes across. It's a disaster! There's grumpy old people in the restaurant, too. And you think you see a side-eye from them looking at you like, what are you doing? How are you dealing with this? Are things that bad? No. And the grumpy old people come by, and you go, oh, here it comes now. I'm going to get lambasted. And instead of lecturing you on your parenting skills, they tell you you're raising polite, maturing children better than many they have seen in a restaurant. The parents' anxiety was real. Were the kids being kids? Yes, they were. But measured by fact, as the old people indicated, it wasn't as bad as the parents thought it was at all. David's near misses and running from the enemies of his position are real, are dangerous, are life threatening. But David's not being chased by lions. Or by beasts, or by beasts with tongues that are swords. That is not the case. Let me uh, talk to you about things that make you anxious. Bills in a rear. Health scares. Car repairs.. Ugh. Intrafamily feuds. You and cousin so-and-so. Faulty tech. We almost had a huge blow-up because we couldn't figure out the tech of these things last night. Spousal arguments. Children in rebellion. And all the rest that we face. These things that we face are real and difficult. What you face when you have these difficulties and they make you anxious, is real. Sometimes you may feel that they are worse than they actually are. And that is the problem that we need to deal with first of all. So David has snuck into the cave. In a whisper, he says, God, can you hear me? Have mercy on me. No, no, I'm serious. Have mercy on me. You are my refuge. And he looks around and he sees the solid rock and he says, This is like being under the wing of God, the protector, the solid rock shielded from harm. I'm safe here until all the destruction and disaster has passed. David, what disaster? What destruction? Well, the destruction and disaster of my death and them chasing me. And he whispers again, God, most high, who vindicates me, who sends his love from heaven, saves me. You rebuke those who hotly pursue me. You send forth your love and your covenant faithfulness. He's trying to get his head around what's happening to him. And he starts to appreciate who God is. God most high who vindicates me you sent forth from heaven and save me you rebuke those who hotly pursue me you sent forth your love and your covenant faithfulness but when you read that in verses 1a and 2 it seems like the deliverance of God is recognized God's going to deliver me but he seems like he's still in heaven he's still a ways away he's not here with me David knows that he's safe for now. He has a recognition that though it seems far away, God's care will come from heaven and care for him. As a matter of fact, David fixes his eyes on God or a pronoun for God in this passage. A little short, Psalm 57, 21 times. 21 times. Like a mother bird who cares for her chicks in danger. Like Psalm 91 verse 4 says, he will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. By the way, there's another one of my favorite psalms, Psalm 91. I would encourage you to read that psalm. Uh, I think my list of favorite psalms is growing. It might even be this one now that I'm preaching it. David knows where his shelter is supposed to be with God most high. So, Um, the threat seems worse than it really is. The deliverance of God is recognized, but seemingly far away. And then, in 2a and 3a, vindication come from God. Salvation comes from God. James Boyce says this, In these desperate days, whenever David went, he seemed to be in the midst of lions. But when he lay down in the cave of Adullam, In the shadow of God's wings, he was safe as Daniel in the lion's den. If Daniel had lived before David and David had known Daniel's words, David might have used this to tell Saul, my God has sent his angels and he shut the mouths of lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I done any wrong before you. Daniel 6, 22. The psalmist is settling into a calmer pose. I have troubles. They're severe. But not as severe as I thought they were. Protection from my issues that caused me great anxiety is no matter how far he seems to be from the Lord. Protection is from the Lord. I wonder Sisters and brothers, if we can hear this ourselves today. In the things that you face that maybe have you really, really churned up and never let anybody from a pulpit tell you that your problems are not real. For you, at the very least. They're real problems. But sometimes you get churned up by them until you can't think straight. They're so difficult. If I was to ask for a show of hands, I expect that everyone in here would have problems that seem severe and that causes the heart to palpitate whenever they consider them and their potential outcomes. But remember these things. The threat seems even worse when you're in the midst of them. Deliverance of God can be recognized even if it feels far away. And vindication your name being exonerated, you being counted as innocent, and salvation protection come from God. Come from God. Now what I like about this psalm is that after a a section of lamentation, there's a chorus or a refrain. And I'm sure you folks have heard this before, and there's other parts that you would have heard before in the psalm. And the refrain says this, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Now, when you read that, do you have to ask the question, what does that have to do with the lament and being so scared and being attacked? What does that have to do with anything to do with what David is facing? Remember that this is a psalm, so it's sung during the worship of Yahweh by the people of God. The chorus here is to remind the singers and the people that God does do great things for the the deliverance of his people. But as John MacArthur says about this psalm, a truly godly person wants God's glory to be exalted more than he wants his personal problems to be solved. Did that blow your mind? A truly godly person wants God's glory to be exalted more than he wants his personal problems to be solved. I have my problems. And they are huge to me. No matter what they are really like to others. Yet in the midst of my issues, if I am godly, if I love him, if I, long, I would long to see him glorified everywhere, even over and above the solving of my issues. Now take that issue that you face. Say it's a family disagreement or even a couple separation. Is it a big deal? Is it a big deal? Yeah, it is. Is it as big a deal as it seems to you, or as it seems to? Sorry, I'm going to try that again. Get my tongue out of the way. Is it as big a deal as it seems to you, as you are anxiously facing it? Maybe, or maybe not. I hope you understood that sentence. Thank you, Pastor. Can God, who seems at this point far away, deal with it? Deal with your problem? Absolutely, He can. What is the most important thing about the issue that you face? Is it that it'll get resolved? No. Here it is. How will God get the glory for how it is dealt with? That's the most important thing. How will God get the glory for how my situation, my issue, my anxiety is dealt with? What a different way of looking at our problems. In the anxiousness that I had of dealing with the diagnosis of bread's cancer, what was to be my response? Not that God would somehow rescue, which he often will, and we pray that God would deliver Sharon from cancer. But this is the thing that blows my mind as I read this passage. First and foremost, how was God glorified? in this, in this rescue or this dealing of us. Be exalted, O God, amongst the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. A truly godly person wants God's glory to be exalted more than he wants his personal problems to be solved. And what is the best way for God to be glorified? What is the best thing that God can do In glorifying his name while you are dealing with the issue that you face? That somehow out of the dealing that God does in your life and the way that you respond out of that situation, not only is God glorified, but his son, the one who would testify to God's glory and God's greatness is magnified. I'm handling this even as poorly as I'm handling it, because Jesus is my life. Because Jesus is the one who has made me a new creature. And I don't know how people can deal with this unless they have Jesus. And so I want to tell the world. That's how you lift up God's name in the situations. Jesus has done so much for me, and may God be glorified. May God be glorified. I'm going to tell you a little story about what I was reading. In um, I've been reading some missionary biographies, and John Patton is one. Man's a, a weird man. He keeps going to New Hebrides with the possibility of being killed. They they love to kill people and eat them when he went there to the New Hebrides. And they... Tried, they killed his missionary friends and they tore down his house and they stole things. They tried to whack him on the head several times. But he kept going back and testifying to them of how great God was and how he could do this because of what Jesus was doing in his heart. And the Lord saved these cannibal people who would have loved to test Bone of Patton, or try out a few of his side ribs. Instead, they came to know Jesus because of his testimony and his perseverance in the lives of the people in New Hebrides. Amazing, amazing story. Now, let us turn to verses 6 to 10. And this, after you have the chorus that talks about a truly godly person wants God's glory to be exalted more than he wants personal problems to be solved, we come to a thanksgiving of a soul that is delivered by God. Thanksgiving of a soul that is delivered by God. I will sing and make music. Awake, my soul, awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, amongst the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples, for great is your love reaching to the heavens and your faithfulness reaches to the sky. Now, I didn't read to you verse number 6. I turned the page too early. But notice what it says in verse 6. It's almost like he hasn't gotten the message about about God taking care of and vindicating him when you start the verse. They spread a net for my feet, and I was bowed down in distress. They dug a pit in my path. David, you know, You've had problems, even ones where folks who hated you tried to ensnare you with their words or even really capturing. We know about that. We thought you were stepping down from your anxiety level just a bit. But notice the last part of verse 6. He talks about these pits being dug and these nets being thrown, but they've fallen into it themselves. Far from being despondent, he starts to see the true situation. These people are after me. They're setting nets. They're digging pits. And they're making plans. But they don't work so well. They fall into their own pits. They are the ones who are... Being trapped themselves. One commentator says, The wicked receive their due punishment, and the righteous draw comfort from God's rule on earth, and evil returns on his practitioners like a boomerang. Thinking themselves to be wise, Romans 1 indicates, they became fools, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Okay, now I get it. God has this all under control. The tables have been turned. Some of you may be at work have had people who have had the knives out for you. They've been trying to get you or deal with you. And that's difficult. But maybe some of you, as you have trusted the Lord and worked along and done what was right, seen the plans of others who wanted to attack you or cast you down, not work. Or get themselves in trouble. Not not in every case. But you've seen something of a pattern, maybe, of the foolish ideas of foolish people who hate God that have come against you, sometimes going to their deficit and not yours. Interesting. God has this all under control. The tables are being turned. So what does this mean for David? Before I mentioned that David in the silence of the cave where he could not shout out his lament because he was concerned that Saul was too close by. Now all he can do is trumpet his heart. My heart is steadfast. It's fixed on you and your deliverance and your help and your vindication and more than all else your glory. The steadfast trust of God brings unquenchable joy. Do you remember... um, Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. Ebenezer Scrooge wakes up and he finds out that it is indeed only Christmas Day. In watching the old uh, Christmas Carol movies, I've never seen old men dance and jump and be so excited. Because they have a chance to fix what has happened. They have a chance to uh, describe and explain what good things have taken place because of the spirits who have challenged his heart. um, Just like that Ebenezer Scrooge, David is so giddy with excitement, he wants to take the excitement he has in his thanksgiving and jump out of the cave, waking up, as it were, the dawn itself with its excitement, kind of being a man who wants to be a rooster and crying out at the very start of the morning, Wake up! Wake up! God is great! That's what he wants to do. Instead of the burden of his anxieties, as real as they are, he calls all that he has to rush out and sing at the top of his lungs. Have you ever done that? Have you ever been so excited about who God is or how he has delivered you or just that he's your God and Father saving you through the work of Jesus Christ that you have to sing? If you were to ask my wife or folks who have lived with us or my children, you'd find that on a number of occasions when I'm on the computer or watching a hymn singing program from the United Kingdom, I start to sing at the top of my lungs. My poor family along with the music, or I sing and I start to cry happy tears as the music flows over me and I get caught up in the meaning. My soul has been awakened while the only instrument I have, unlike David's lyre and harp, bursts out. How does one counteract the awfulness of anxiety? Steadfast trust in God brings unquenchable joy. How in the world is that possible, Glenn? Do you not understand the issues that I face? You want to know what? I do not understand the issues that you face. I do not. Neither does David. But our Lord does. We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness But we have one who has been tempted in every way, tried in every way, tested in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. And for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, Hebrews 12 says. As David contemplated his situation and wrote the psalm we have before us, his response was one of joy, a heart full enough to sing. Even more, if we've come to trust and rely upon Jesus Christ as our Lord and as our Savior, in the midst of the trials and difficulties and anxieties that we face, one who lived and died and rose again for us should give us hearts that want to sing. Verses 9 and 10, a joy determined to proclaim God's glory. I will praise you, Lord, amongst the nations. I will sing of you amongst the peoples. For great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the sky. One commentator marveled in the fact that psalms never leave one hanging. Even in the laments, individual and corporate, the complaints about the difficulties and lamentations always resolve in thanksgiving and praise there is never a psalm that comes to an end without some thanksgiving or praise regarding the issues being discussed the, the praise that david shares here is so no, so well known that we have sung this i will praise you lord amongst the nations in our singing in times past david even uses this section in psalm 108 again The laments against the attacks of the wicked turn into a worldwide or really a galaxy-wide proclamation of God's great name. The terms that most resonate with David are one, love, and the second, faithfulness. The choosing and commitment of God to those he loves are the character traits that are most pressed forward. And how do we deal with what Jesus has done for us? We respond to his love, and his commitment to us. David presses a prayer for God to be exalted. How do we proclaim God's glory? In what name? To whom? The answer for David seems to be that he wants God to be exalted in his own personal circumstances, and by the way he trusts and praises him, even in difficulties. Ephesians chapter 3, Paul writes of what God is accomplishing in the church as Jews and Gentiles. And if you look here, amongst the various nations of people who are part of our church, are brought together in one body and which even in their sufferings and difficulties demonstrate the sufficiency of God in all the circumstances. In Ephesians 3, 10-13, Paul's tone intensifies and he indicates that even the angels marvel at what God is doing and his wisdom. We approach God with freedom and confidence. We suffer. Those who lead us suffer as we are seeing in the church in China in these days. And this is for our glory and more particularly the glory of God. So Boyce finishes his comment by saying, those who know God rejoice when God is exalted and they rejoice that they have great privilege of exalting him themselves, especially in circumstances that are disappointing or difficult. So in the four verses of thanksgiving, we find three points to acknowledge. God has it all under control. The tables will be turned. If not now, then in glory. A steadfast trust in God brings steadfast joy. A joy determined to proclaim God's glory is given. So what's anxiety? It's an uncomfortable feeling of nervousness or worry about something that is happening or might happen in the future. What is the key to dealing with anxiety? Recognize God's in control and make his glory no matter what the first and foremost focus of your life or as John Piper might say, there is superior joy in glorifying God. Let's pray.